Hello and welcome to Research Roundup brought to you by the Primary Care Collaborative Cancer Clinical Trials Group, PC4. I'm Christy Milley and each month we'll be looking at what's new in cancer in primary care research and I'll be talking to authors of recent publications and presentations. Welcome to this month's episode of Research Roundup. Our guest today is Associate Professor Julia Brotherton, who is Medical Director of the VCS's Population Health, and she's also a member of the WHO Director General's Expert Advisory Group on Cervical Cancer Elimination. Julia is the senior author on a new publication in PLOS One titled Implementation of Australia's Renewed Cervical Screening Program, Preparedness of General Practitioners and Nurses. Thank you for joining us, Julia. You're very welcome. And so if my Google search is anything to go by, you have nearly two decades of experience in research that is focused on informing the implementation and evaluation of HP vaccination programs in Australia. So could you give us a little bit of background about your research career pathway? Sure. So by training, I'm a public health physician, which means I did medical training and then did advanced training in public health medicine. And my very last placement in that training program and my first job as a public health physician was actually in immunisation. So at the National Centre for Immunisation Research and Surveillance in Sydney. And at that very time, the very first publication showing how incredibly effective the HPV vaccine is came out in the New England Journal. And I vividly remember the journal club where that was presented. And and really, we all looked around and said, well, we need to find out more. How common is HPV in Australia? What types do we have? Will the vaccine be able to prevent cancer in Australia? And as the new person, I was very much sort of handballed <laughs> this, this new and emerging interesting topic. And I guess that's really been the foundation of my research career since. So from being on the Technical Working Party, providing advice to government around whether we should have an HPV vaccine program in Australia, and then following that all the way through, I was Medical Director of Australia's National HPV Vaccine Program Register. And we certainly have done a lot of research over the years looking at the impact in our population of the vaccines. This research here, though, is really about the other part of prevention that we now have, which is cervical screening we've had for a long time, but Australia's just moved to a new type of screening program. And so this research is really focused on looking at how the very early implementation of that new strategy is going. So talking about this paper then, we are very much the envy of other countries around the world in our approach to tackling cervical cancer in our screening program. So this paper that you've produced is around changes in that screening program. So could you just maybe give us a little bit of background on what these changes were and did any of them impact primary care and general practitioners? Yeah, certainly. So look, I think the change to the program is really built on a very strong foundation of evidence that the previous form of screening that we were using, which was PAP testing, so cervical cytology, We had a program that screened women from 20 to 69 years of age every two years, and it did reduce the incidence and uh, mortality rate of cervical cancer since 1991 by about 50%. So a very effective program. However, there's now really great data from very large randomised trials showing that by changing the test to an HPV test, which is looking for levels of oncogenic or cancer-causing HPV types at levels associated with the presence of one of those underlying cervical precancer lesions, is actually 
a lot more sensitive. So it's much better at picking up disease than, of course, the big limitation of pap testing has always been you need to take a good sample and it needs to be preserved correctly. It needs to be then read by a screener who needs to look at hundreds of thousands of cells to try and find any abnormal ones. So its sensitivity was always a problem. Whereas with HPV testing, you're looking for the nucleic acids of the virus. Mm. Um, So it's a lot more sensitive and it's been projected that our change in Australia from two yearly pap testing to five yearly HPV screening is going to further reduce cervical cancer incidence and mortality by 20 to 30%. So this move is really a great day in terms of technology because pap testing hadn't changed since the the 50s. (laughs) Uh, We now have a modern, more automated, analytic sensitive test with a better negative predictive value, which means if you have a negative test, we're a lot more confident that you're not going to have any of those cervical cancer precursors, which is why we can make the interval five years. All of these changes obviously are pretty difficult to implement when you've had a program that's been operating since 1991. Everybody's used to it. Everybody's used to the age range. Everybody's used to the frequency. And all of a sudden you're saying, no, actually, (laughs) we're going to change things. Now, for most women, the test hasn't really changed. So they're still getting a cytology sample collected from their cervix. But for the first time, HPV testing does actually allow a new pathway, which is called self-collection, where the woman can actually collect a low vaginal swab using a flock swab, and that is just as good at finding HPV as as a cervical specimen. So there are some changes that I think primary care has really had to try and get their head around, if you like. Like, what are the differences between the previous program and this one? How do I explain that to my patients? How do I make them feel safe if I'm going to tell her she can safely go away for five years, when before I was saying, no, you have to come back every two, it's really, really important, you know, you can't be too careful. And how do I come to grips with the new pathways, the new results? So no longer are you getting a a cytology result, you're getting an HPV test. And then if that's positive, you then get a cytology. And there's different pathways depending on the combination of results. So a whole lot of changes for practitioners to get their head around. Mm. And then in this paper, two of your key results were looking at practitioners' comfort in implementing the Renew program and their confidence around conveying information about the program. So what did you find for those two outcomes in particular? Yeah, look, this is very much an implementation study. So what we did was we actually surveyed um, practitioners who were attending education sessions about cervical screening and we did them in two groups. So we, we surveyed a group of practitioners before the changes were implemented and then a group of practitioners afterwards. And they were predominantly general practitioners, but some nurses as well. And we were really interested to find out how comfortable and confident they are with the big changes in the program. We found that there definitely was a change from the months before the program was implemented to afterwards in the level of confidence that practitioners expressed in, for example, only screening HPV negative women every five years and in only offering screening from the age of 25. So this was a big change in our program, which was previously we screened younger women. The evidence now really suggests that cervical screening of young women has very little benefit. In fact, it probably doesn't even effectively work to prevent cancer because those lesions and HPV is just so common in that age group. And so with the HPV vaccine program and the diminishing numbers of those cancer-causing HPV infections in that young woman, we've actually lifted the age to 25. And it's taken practitioners a while to get their head around the evidence that shows that that will be safe 
and it will be effective and to have the, the confidence to then convey that to their patients. Mm. But a big increase in the pre and post renewal period in that particular metric. We also saw increasing levels of comfort with understanding the pathways. So in our program, we use what's called partial genotyping as a form of triage. So if a woman's HPV test is positive for types HPV 16 or 18, which are the most oncogenic types, so the most likely to lead to cervical cancer in the long run, she needs to go straight to colposcopy. If she is has one of the other HPV types, so oncogenic but much lower risk, what she does next depends on the result of her reflex cytology. And so what we do see is a group of women who have one of these other types currently have a negative or a low-grade cytology result. So low-grade means she's got some cellular changes, but usually those are just hallmarkers of acute infection. She actually goes away for a year. So even though she has HPV and she may have some cell changes, we're sending her away for a year to see if those resolve by themselves. And what we saw in the survey was practitioners, again, in the pre-renewal period, they weren't really comfortable with that. They didn't really understand it. Whereas by the time the post-renewal period came around, increasing numbers have got their head around what the rationale for that is. And the rationale simply is that most of those HPV infections will be transient. And if they're not associated with high-grade changes now, you're very safe to leave the woman to see if she's going to naturally clear it. So she doesn't need further investigation. We're going to give her immune system that time. And usually most of these HPV infections do clear within a year. So were there any key barriers to the acceptability of the program with GPs? Yeah, look, I think um, they voiced a range of concerns. And again, these concerns were voiced much more clearly in the pre-renewal sample than post-renewal. I guess many of their anxieties had been addressed by experience. There was definitely some concern about the five-year screening interval at the beginning, and, and particularly they were worried about how their patients would accept that. So as I said before, you know, we've been really drumming into women for a long time that it's really important you attend regularly. And it is, particularly for cytology, because the sensitivity isn't great. So there is a chance we could miss it on this smear. That's why we need to see you again in two years. But with HPV testing, it's got a much stronger negative predictive value. So we know that if you don't have an oncogenic HPV infection today and you get one tomorrow, you're very unlikely, A, for that to persist, and B, if it does persist, to cause any abnormalities and certainly not cancers within that time frame. And that's why we're really comfortable from the data recommending that this is a safe option for women. And so... Practitioners were worried about that. They were worried about explaining that to women as to why it was safe. They also voiced concerns about reducing the frequency meant reducing other opportunistic things that primary care practitioners often do. So obviously a woman coming in for a pap test is also an opportunity to talk about contraception, to talk about STI screening, a whole range of things. And we certainly saw practitioners voicing some concerns about that, that this they may lose that opportunity. I think that we're hoping that that won't be the case and and that because most women see a GP for another reason through the year that they can build in new ways of opportunistic screening in those settings. We also had a a bit of concern from the practitioners around uh, what they called the false start. So unfortunately, our transition into the program wasn't as smooth as it could have been. It actually got delayed and that was because our new National Cancer Screening Registry wasn't ready at the date it was meant to be ready. And I think that did cause a bit of confusion and concern. There was very much a reluctance, I think, to start 
education and communication about the new program while the old program was still running. Uh, I think it was very much a deliberate decision by the government not to roll out heaps of training and public messaging, you know, six months before the program started because they didn't want to undermine confidence in the previous program. And I think GPs were a bit concerned about this. Um, Certainly the whole issue of really having to provide a lot of education to their patients about the new program was raised as, you know, this is something that I have to do because it hasn't been done for me. Women Mm. don't know about it. They don't understand what an HPV test is. They don't understand how their results are going to be different or what's going to happen to them. So I think, you know, there is some sense that, that this was a bigger task than perhaps it could have been if some of that more public education had started earlier and been a bit more widespread. And then, so I suppose talking about information and communication materials with this program, that did come up as being key to overcoming some of the barriers that you identified. Do you have any plans now to work on more tailored information, tailored brochures, things like that to assist GPs? Yeah, look, I think there is an an awareness that perhaps the initial resources that were developed didn't meet all the needs of of women and practitioners. And and certainly, as I said, it was a very deliberate strategy that GPs only received all those materials the month before. So a lot of them felt very underprepared. We're now, of course, seeing what normally happens in our programs in Australia, which is that the state and territories and the cancer councils do have a big communication and advocacy role. We're seeing the development of a lot more tailored materials in different jurisdictions and for different patient groups. I mean, we know at the moment that some of our um, culturally and linguistically diverse women are refugees and immigrants and some of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities do screen less frequently and they're really the ones that we need to reach. So I think very much there needs to be an active program of making sure resources are appropriate and we've certainly seen some great examples being developed in the last couple of years. So I think we're getting there. I think perhaps this data just reflects a bit of a slow start yeah. really not being ready on day one, which yeah. I guess often happens. That's yeah. reality. <laughs> That's fair enough. And so we always like to finish the podcast with a take-home message. What's that one thing that you would like a GP or a practice manager or a practice nurse to get from this article and from the podcast? Yeah, look, I think this piece of research is very interesting and I think reflects the enormous dedication and care that primary care practitioners have, but also just how busy they are and how a massive program change like this can feel a bit overwhelming. The one thing that we haven't really talked about that I think is a a key finding from this paper is the new self-collection pathway that we have in our national program at the moment is restricted to women who otherwise won't screen. So women who have never felt comfortable for whatever reason having a speculum-based clinician-collected sample and that, you know, that's a very diverse range of reasons. But, you know, some of the more serious ones can be because of a history of sexual violence or previous bad experience having an attempted collection. So these are, in fact, the women in whom we still see cervical cancer developing. So 70 to 80% of women who get cervical cancer in this country at the moment are either under or never screened. So I would like to urge practitioners to make themselves familiar with this pathway. It's not easy in in terms of the fact that there are eligibility restrictions on it. So the woman needs to be 30 or older. She needs to be at least two years overdue. So at the moment, anyone who was screened in 2015 or earlier 
may be eligible for this pathway. So it's a really fantastic thing you can do for the women in your practice who are perhaps under or never screened is to get yourself familiar with that pathway about how you can offer it in a supportive way to those women. And some of our other research has shown that primarily what women often feel when their clinician raises this possibility is a sense of relief. A lot of women have a lot of guilt about the fact they've never been able to bring themselves to do this preventive healthcare measure that they know they should be doing for themselves and their families, but they just can't for whatever reason. To have the opportunity now to do a different type of test where the woman is empowered to take it herself, it doesn't hurt, it's quick, it's easy, and to know that that test is going to give just as good a result as a clinician-collected specimen is really a great opportunity. And so although... The restrictions on its youth make it difficult. You can't just roll it out to everybody. I think it's really a worthwhile thing for practitioners to consider adopting into their practice. So certainly you can go to the Commonwealth website to find out more. And there's a couple of pathology providers who now provide that test. So I think ask your laboratory in the first instance who you send your screening test to about how you go about supporting patients in your practice to access self-collection because um, it's really a fantastic opportunity to reach those women who we've never been able to reach before. So I think that's my take home is that this new technology and this new program, that's the big difference here to reach the previously unreachable and and really hopefully make a big dent in um, future cervical cancer incidents by doing that is, is such a great opportunity for all of us. That's wonderful. I think it's a great thing for GPs to keep in the forefront of their mind when they're seeing patients who potentially fit this criteria. Yeah, that's right. Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time today, Julia. You're welcome. Thanks for downloading Research Roundup produced by PC4. You can access the articles and other information in our show notes. Please let us know what you think about this episode by emailing us at info at pc4tg.com.au or keep in touch via Twitter where you'll find us at pc4tg and there's also our website which is pc4tg.com.au.